0: My name is Sally Hellingsted and I am the chapter president of Women's Energy Network Colorado. WENCO provides networking and leadership opportunities for women and men working in the energy industry. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories of leaders who have shown resiliency in their career, their personal life, and even their communities. We hope these episodes inspire resiliency in your own life. So let's do this. When I first heard the name Margot Timball, it was when I was hired to run the Denver Petroleum Club everyone wanted me to reach out and figure out how to get her involved in our programs. For those who know me, you know that I have no shame. And so I tried and I tried and I tried again. But what I didn't realize at the time was that as I was coming into the industry, Margo was planning her exit out. She was literally the ungettable get for me. Fast forward to my success and finally getting her to agree to have lunch with me. Imagine my delight when I realized that she really is the total badass everyone talked about. So meeting Margo has been one of the highlights of my energy career. She is an unrelenting advocate for women and has been a Huge factor in my success in this industry. And if you needed yet another reason to admire her, she quote unquote retired from oil and gas and started a nonprofit. Thank you so much for joining me today, Margot.
1: Thanks Let's for having Let's start me, Sally. out with I'm just a basic: this.
0: Who are you? How? Where did you come from? How did you get to Colorado? And kind of give our listeners an overview of Margot, and then we'll kind of jump into uh, your career and everything else after that.
1: Born and raised in New England, Massachusetts, north of Boston, the youngest of four children. A few youth experiences in the West made me think from about the age of 11 or 14, boy, I'd really like to live in the West. Um, I went to college in New Jersey. I had a chance to um, interview for jobs, No, no idea what they entailed. And I got myself uh, a good job in Colorado, did not know a soul. I came to Denver in my little Honda Civic in the fall of 1979 with uh, no friends, zero. Uh, Just a very good job. I worked, I had a startup job with Amoco Production Company. What an incredible place. Um, I love to sail. I love to ski. I've always loved to do those things. I love to hike. Um, My husband taught me how to fly fish and I love to do that. I'm the mom of two adult children, 23 and 31. Uh, There are four geologists in our family. I think I probably have the weakest academic credentials of any of them in terms of geology. And uh, so our road trips are fairly hilarious. Like we go looking for hand samples with folds in them or did you notice the quarry? And I have a dog. I like to walk a lot. I am retired. I have totally flunked out of retirement, number one, by founding with Ned, a really cool nonprofit called Comeback Yoga. I am trying to enter into Retirement 2.0 with a little more emphasis on recreation and connecting people, mentoring people, but a little less administering um, I'm back, yoga. That's, That's incredible. incredible. I like that you have retirement
0: now. 2.0 on there, since you didn't do it very good the first time. <laughs> um, so Congrats. let's jump into your career trajectory. You already mentioned that you started at Amico right out of college. Talk a little bit about your experience with Amico, how long you were there, which is always impressive, and then um, the next job that you had after Amico.
1: My business career. I think of it as a business career. It started out as a geoscience career, but it became a business career. Uh, Amoco, 20 years there. I was there from 79 to 99 and uh, stationed in Denver uh, very deliberately and on their part and my part. And then three years in Houston, sort of in the middle of that 89 to um, back in Denver by 92, not quite three years. And Amoco hired me. Um, I was a cr- one of a crop. There was a crop of us. Uh, we were Ivy League students in geology and Amoco's regional manager sort of went poaching on the territory of the New Orleans regional office. He said, you know, I want to go get some of those Ivy League kids. And I happened to be one of them. I interviewed for my job in my really greasy, sweaty sweats. It's was on the way to uh, crew practice. The boat couldn't leave the dock without me, but I had this on-campus interview, so I literally showed up in, the, you know, like waffle long johns and athletic shorts and three t-shirts. It's November; it's freezing, and so I, I didn't, you know, didn't dress up for that interview. It was Amico's reputation for giving its employees a lot of responsibility was an attraction, and it was true. So I was calling a DST five weeks into the job, drill stem test, for those of you who don't know what that is. And it's based on a show and a well. And fortunately, you know, there was a really wonderful well site geologist in North Dakota. And he said, yeah, I think we should test this. And I said, okay, okay, we'll test this. Um, I didn't know what TD meant. I, I actually was in an operations review, like first six weeks on the job, keep talking about TD, TD. and I sort of whispered to the guy that was sort of my like sort of kind of coach, you know, more senior guy. I said, is TD like touchdown? He said, no, it's total death, Margot. So I didn't have the vernacular. I didn't study sedimentary rocks. I didn't have a master's degree. All I knew was, you know, get on it, ask a lot of questions, work hard. I want to mention a couple of things that I loved about Amerco. So the training was great. And that's a benefit of a larger company. Uh, You get training early in your career in the many, many variables that are necessary to understand for um, being effective in this complicated, fascinating business. I also loved the responsibility early. Um, It was like rise to the occasion for that. The people were terrific. They were smart and engaged and sociable. Um, Amico was very committed to their people. There was a lot of training in soft skills as well as technical skills. And that suited me because I did have uh, leaning towards leadership. (laughs) I told Sally this, that you know, if you look back to elementary school years, I was one of the kids on the playground that was labeled bossy. So I was the kid at the dinner table, youngest of four. Just to interrupt you really quickly about Amoco.
0: Um, how did you know when you were interviewing with, interviewing with Amoco that they would be a good fit? Or did you know when you just took a leap of faith?
1: I didn't know. It was, it was really simple. It's all about location. I, I had another industry job offer, I think. I'm not sure I can really remember, but it wasn't in Colorado. And so it was simple real estate, Colorado and then you just location, got lucky location, because location, it turned location. out to be a really
0: great company to work for for most of your career.
1: Well, I think there, I think we're all sort of partisans for wherever we started, but um, there's a group of over like close to a hundred of us that pre-COVID we would get together once a year and have a reunion. And when I go to the first Tuesday luncheon group, we we did this once. Everybody in the room, if you. Worked for Amico, raise your hand. It's like over 60%, which meant these people had gone on to be entrepreneurs and independent and become the top leaders of their companies. They all had AMICO in their background. So we're we're very proud of ourselves, you know, that AMICO. It's just like any, you know, it's like. People are proud of the college they but went you to. You had a great experience at Amoco and you
0: did mention there were some benefits to it being a larger company because you got more training, you got more um, experience across different kind of skill sets, so to speak. And then the thing that I think is fascinating about your career that I, I didn't know until we started doing this is that you've only had jobs with two different companies. Uh, and the second job was with Anschutz, which you moved into after Amoco. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about what caused you to leave Amico, and then how you, uh, proceeded to work for Chutes.
1: So I left Amico at the 20-year mark with the merger with BP. And I had an opportunity to go to Houston with BP. And I lived and worked with my family in Houston previously. And that was not part of my career trajectory. So it was a real easy, no, there was no agonizing. There was agonizing earlier in the career, should we... You know, we had a two-career family. Should we go to this spot? Or should we go to this spot? This one was easy. He's like, nope, not doing that with BP. It was partly, it was all Houston, but there was, I, I'm grateful that I didn't go down that BP merger pathway. Then I didn't have a job. Like, I, and I had never looked for a job. Getting an on-campus interview is really easy <laughs> compared to looking for a job. And there are people listening to this who are looking for a job. And, and they're in the same situation I was in um, except more difficult times today. So this is where your network and the relationships that you have built come in—not only handy, they're, they're essential. I was very focused when I worked at Amico. I worked for Amico, and uh, that included. Fortunately, I was the chairman of a working interest owner committee, which meant we had partners, and I made good, sound working relationships with others on that committee and I contacted them, and one in particular, we would have coffee periodically. In the working interest owner context, we had some competing business interests. We had unresolved business issues that we were both committed to resolving. We had a lot of difficult work that we did together. There was a lawsuit that was brought by this other entity, and we we dealt with that. So this relationship wasn't like... Uh, necessarily always friendly, but it was a business working, credible relationship. So we had coffee. I said, hey, I need a job and I need to network. And is there anybody you can put me in touch with? And, and then I didn't really hear anything. And I thought, well, that's too bad. And six weeks later, I got a phone call in the evening that said, you've got an appointment tomorrow afternoon, two o'clock downtown with Mr. Anche's. The job is Director of North American Exploration. So you could have scraped me off the floor. And what had happened is he had learned of my availability and he had worked with his team to create a job description that somewhat fit my skills and to invigorate Anschutz Exploration at that particular moment in time. Like There were like two rigs running in the Rockies then. Some, some incredibly low number. 1999, it was really great. Oil was uh, selling in Wyoming for like less than 10 bucks a barrel. I got the job. And therein, the lesson is your working relationships really, really matter. And I spent 15 years working with a great team. Went from a company of 1,000, approximately, um, in Denver to 40. You know, Amoco had 40,000 people worldwide. But so big company to tiny, private, adventurous, you know, high-risk exploration, completely different situations. So what are some I of the of best things that work. you
0: think came out of that transition from a large company to a small company?
1: I think a big plus is the integration. I, I, it was like taking wool and cotton out of my ears, wool off my head, cotton out of my ears to integrate every aspect of the business, title, land, minerals. Uh, field, it it was much more integrated, whereas there were still silos, strong ones at Amoco, even when I left, you know, this department, that department. At Anschutz, there were no, you know, there, there was land and there was engineering and there was geoscience, but we had to really mesh it all together. So I love that. Um, it was much more externally focused. One of my colleagues there had a great phrase, which is We were always looking for opportunities. We couldn't generate them all in house. We were too small. And he would say, Got to kiss a lot of frogs. Got to kiss a lot of frogs. So that's, that, that was a very distinctive element. And working, you know, private company, my friends who would be working in public companies or companies that were intending to go public. I felt so sorry for them for all the hopes they had to jump through. You know, we really had a lot of flexibility. We could move incredibly fast and incredibly fast. And sometimes we would move so fast, we'd get a project and then we would sell part of it to the company that couldn't move quite fast enough because of their bureaucracy, and they would become partners. So I, I love working. I guessing in a that, company.
0: that ability to move so quickly probably helps you more during a downturn. As well. Am I wrong in thinking that?
1: Well, you know, if you're operating, you're, you're still making commitments uh, that are similar to what you're making in a public company. By commitments, I mean you still have to commit to either a seismic crew or a rig that's going to drill for a certain number of wells. But, and, and you can't get out of those commitments, you know, just like with anybody, any, any other part of the business. In a downturn, you can hunker down. And put your efforts into building your technical work and your inventory for the next time you see an uptick. Um, so maybe a little less painful. And we always ran really lean, so there wasn't. Uh, we went through some downturns, and there weren't a lot of layoffs. Not you know the same crew is not there today that was there when I was there. There have been layoffs, as as you might expect. For such a fantastic industry, energy, it is also pretty painful because we do get driven by a commodity price. It's out of our control and And it hurts. As we um, record this,
0: obviously, unemployment numbers are ticking up, not just in our industry, but across all industries because of COVID. It doesn't help that we have the double whammy of Low oil and gas prices and consolidation and the potential of not having jobs available in this industry. what are some of the things that you would recommend to our listeners about you know if they want to stay in this industry, what are some things that they should do? And if they decide maybe this isn't the right fit for them anymore or they' they've been through a few downturns now and they're kind of fed up with it. What are some adv- pieces of advice that you give to those people looking for jobs outside of the industry?
1: So I have a, a couple of thoughts, and I, I just want to say to all of you, there's no silver bullet here. I, I'm sure I'm not going to say anything terribly unique, and I do have great empathy for your situation. If you want to stay in the industry, you got to keep your technical skills up. So take classes, take classes online, take classes from School of Mines, take classes that Armag's offering. Um, Create a structure, some scaffolding for yourself so that your day is structured and your learning is structured and moving forward. Keep your resume up to date. Keep your network up to date. And that's not... You're not going out to have coffee with people and tell your sad story. Have coffee with people and say, what's happening in your world? What's what's exciting? What glimmers do you see on the horizon? Um, Can you connect me to blah, 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 blah. Can you connect me to X person? Can you connect me to this part of your network? So you might finish your networking session with a, would you be able to connect me to? So that person just makes a little tiny bit of investment in you. They've heard your story and keep your networking visits pretty short, pretty contained. Um, Unless, I mean, some of the people you network with, you will have lots in common with, and they might go on for two hours over a glass of wine. That's totally fine. But Be deliberate about it and don't just do it by text or email. You know, it is feasible to carefully interact with people and be cognizant of whatever they think their risk assessment is. You might not know it. They might be living with an elderly parent. So maybe they'll blow you off and say, we got to do this on Zoom. That's okay. Participate. You know, if you're interested in it, get on the board of one of the professional organizations that support you like Sally has done. She's going to be on the national board of the Women's Energy Network. Which is super cool. There's RMAG, there's DGS, there's Denver International Petroleum Society. There are these groups and they need people to help with their programming. Gentle Maybach does the trivia for RMAG. It's fun. So come on, you know, come aboard. If you're approaching hopelessness, first of all, make sure you're talking to someone. Like, don't let hopelessness turn into hopelessness with a capital H. You need help if you feel that way. And that's really important. Look at your hobbies. What do you like to do? What do you do when you um, can choose what to do? And hopefully, some of this has become more clear to you through the quarantine period and shutdown. Do you like crafts? Do you like building stuff? What draws your attention? And you may turn your attention to that hobby, start consuming that hobby on YouTube, podcasts, and where do you fit in? And that may turn out to be. You know, I really like um, everything uh, in this um, textile crafts. I'm going to get involved in that. Uh, I want to be a teacher. So here's an interesting thing: there are a lot of teachers who don't want to be teachers anymore. They are frightened of of everything that's coming at them in the classroom: technology and COVID. Maybe you want to go be an earth science teacher, or you want to go teach high school math or physics. Think about. Boy, there might be some other situation where my gifts will be um, appreciated. And it's definitely not static. Not static. You have to
0: be um, kind of, I don't know, right, the right analogy. You have to be clay and be able to mold to different things as they come up, arise in your life. So it's it's an interesting time right now, I feel like for everyone. Jumping into kind of our next section about leadership. What are how would you define your leadership style, Margot? And what are some key tips you can give our audience to become more like you in your leadership style?
1: It, it, first of all, the first word that jumps to mind is collaborative. What does that mean? Hopefully, having around you, and if you're in a position, hiring and having around you really talented people, people who have skills. Different than yours, i always tried to have people around me who were smarter than me. Smarter scientists, smarter thinkers, better planners. Get the smartest people in the room that you possibly can. And then your role as a leader is to help get the best out of them. Help them be their best selves. And that requires some coaching. Sometimes it's coaching the introverted person to find their voice in a group meeting or coaching someone to show up to the meeting early so they literally get a seat at the table because they will be more likely to be heard. I also found a skill that I brought to my leadership role was the skill of summarizing. Like I would say, this is what I heard. And then people could correct that or not. Or some the uh, skill of clarifying, either through questions or summarizing. Those those communication skills are helpful. So lots of listening, two ears, one mouth. So make sure you sort of listen like you use your communication skills in a similar ratio. Another thing that I loved about leadership was uh, connecting people to each other. Have you talked with? Have you gone to see? Let's go do this together. Uh, Let's call up that person. Maybe we should get a meeting together. And some of my greatest failures have been the flip side of that, feeling like, oh, it's exhausting. And getting all these people together. Let's have a smaller group. And I, I had a disaster. I went the smaller group route at one point in one job situation. And the uh, the people who didn't get invited to the smaller group felt excluded, insulted, caused somebody to quit. It was such a stupid mistake. So don't let your energy for communication fail you. If you're feeling low energy find a way to recharge be careful recognize
0: as a great leader people really want you to mentor them and somehow get you involved in their life how have you used mentorship in your life and in your both your personal life your career and even now how has mentorship kind of been a factor in there and developed throughout the years
1: so i have a couple of really great mentors in my life um One's my dad, who's passed away now. He was like the cheerleading type of mentor, always interested in what I was doing. Occasionally, if I would send him something that I had written, some technical writing, he would send it back covered in red. Like, (laughs) he was a pretty good writer himself. You can look for sort of the cheerleader type, the editor type, and they might be a family member. I would be really... Stupid, not to mention my husband. He is a great mentor. He's the one who, like, I was terrified of going to work for sheets, and he said, "This is the best job in Denver." Murdo. You like, you got to be kidding. You're going to look someplace else. This is the best job in Denver. And it, it was from his experience and his perspective and his entrepreneurial bent. I'm I'm really strong in working in organizations, and he is really strong working for himself and contributing to organizations that way. You know they are, are going to be some bosses out there who are going to see your talent and they're going to want to help you. And their help might come in the form of creating little competitive exercises or needling you. And you, you might not recognize they're trying to help you. So you might ask them, you know, would you, would you mentor me? Would you share? What you're asking is, would you share your experience with me so that I can accelerate my acquisition of experience and do a better job in this organization, because everybody wants to accelerate. So you might have to, you might notice that somebody's like trying to give you some feedback and say, hey, maybe you like, would consider mentoring me and set up a comfortable schedule to do that. I wanna say one thing about mentorship, it's not the same as sponsorship. And if you're working in an organization where you don't have a seat at the table, and but my, my euphemism is, a seat where decisions are made and decisions are made about personnel or project distribution or who gets to work on what. Your mentor might also be your sponsor if they have a seat at the table or they might not. And you might need to develop a sponsor relationship. And that's clearly with a boss, somebody up the hierarchical chain from you. In my experience, it was 100% a man. I don't think I ever worked for a woman boss and the sponsorship thing is they have a seat at the table, and they say, "You know, this person, this rising light in our organization, should be considered for this role or should be considered for this um compensation or should be considered, you know in a worst case scenario, should be considered for more compensation because if it's someone who's been disadvantaged in previous compensation discussions, it's clear they're unbalanced. That's what a sponsor does. and this is this is a fine point. So if you are, Frustrated in your organization, but you'd really like to stay there. You like the culture. Ask yourself if, you, if there's anybody That's an with a. Seat excellent the table distinction who between the
0: sponsorship and mentorship. How do you know if somebody's going to be a better sponsor or a better mentor?
1: So, a better mentor is someone whose experience it seems to be pretty aligned with your experience. They have, and therefore, they can share with you. You could do this. Faster! If you did this, you are overlooking this important component of your role. And the sponsor is the person who you know has a voice in the organization. So your mentor might not might be incredibly helpful to you in terms of project management or project progress, but the sponsor might be the person who is probably a little more intimidating. To acquire, but is the person who is participating in leadership discussions, like who are the next leaders of this organization? Who are the leaders we want to develop? Why do we want to develop them? So they could be the same person, but if you just focus on, I need a mentor, I need a mentor, I'm going to be this person's mentee and this person's mentee, and you never ask yourself the question, what about sponsorship? You're underserving your yourself. So that sponsor is sponsors a little tougher to find, but they're out there. They are definitely out there. I know that you said that you've never
0: been in a formal mentor program, but yet I see you helping in a lot of mentoring ways in larger groups. You know, I know that you work with NGEN a bit. I know that you have done presentations for WOGA. I know that you've done presentations at DPC. So even though you have never formally been a mentor, do you find value in giving those presentations?
1: So in preparing for this um, and some of these questions, I thought about, I don't recall that I've ever been specifically somebody's mentee. And, um, but I had... Good mentors. I had good bosses who were interested in having the best leadership possible on their teams and in the future of their company. So I'm really grateful to them and I hope they know who they are. Since I retired, one of my friends... So also, mentors can be your friends. Mentors can be your colleagues. Mentors can be your peers. Mentors can be the people in the offices or the cubicles right next door to you who have just a slightly different perspective or a different skill set. I'll give you an example. There's a difference between being assertive and being persuasive. And you want some of both. And they're not quite the same. Uh, somebody might say to you, you know, you're trying to, set, quote, sell something. You need to sell the benefits of it, not, the, not so much on the features. You're emphasizing the features too much because you're stuck in your engineering brain. What are the benefits? What are the outcomes? I was invited to become an official mentor, so two of us with gray hair started out mentoring two Ngen grads um, who didn't have gray hair. They have gray hair now, but <laughs> and we turned it into book club, and we it, it's been going on for years. I get as much out of it as I think they do because I get a different perspective on um, Their lives, what they're coping with has to do with work-life balance. It has to do with persistent bias in the industry, all kinds of things. That's a really delightful sort of entry point to becoming a mentor. And frankly, it fits in with this idea of bringing out the best in the people that work for me. And there's no greater compliment to me than seeing people that have worked for me go on you know, because they have more confidence to excel in some other role. You know, they were an introverted, quiet engineer in a field position or an office position. I'm thinking of two people specifically, and holy moly! You know, one's running a company and is on public board, and another one had a fantastic career and is retired and is doing exactly what that person wants to do. And. I think of those as really thrilling examples of
0: coaching. No, I don't for think I've ever success. asked you to be or formally asked you to be a mentor, but you do it in such small ways that I really appreciate it. Like you mentioned the first Tuesday group um, earlier, and you brought me as a guest to that, and I think we were the only two women uh, at the lunch that day. So, just some of the opportunities you've provided me to expand my network have been hugely impactful. So, I thank you for that. I want to kind of move now into Retirement part two, or not retirement part two, career part two, I should say. Uh, I think the combination of your wanting to help people, your, you know, your your core value of helping people, and then your leadership style has really uh, made your next career move exceptional. And let's talk a little bit about comeback yoga now. Give our audience uh, a little overview of what Comeback Yoga is, as well as why you decided to start it.
1: Comeback Yoga is a 501c3 nonprofit founded in Colorado, technically in the December of 2014. And Ned and Margo Timble are the founders. We serve military men and women, their families, clinicians, caregivers, supporters, and veterans. So active duty veterans, any discharge status with free trauma-informed yoga practice. Uh, this all started with a volunteer project of Ned's in 2012. He started teaching at the VA hospital in Denver, 10th and Claremont, to inpatients, men who were suffering with post-traumatic stress and had a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Ned and I are these geeky nerdy people we think the brain's really fascinating and we have spent a lot of time studying neurology neurophysiology neurobiology interpersonal neurobiology brain brain body interactions trauma how the body reacts to it how it stores it what effect it has on youth adults older people trauma is fascinating it is present in all our lives this is not unique to Military. But the military part comes from our dads. Both our dads served in the military in World War II. They're both dead. We can both look at aspects of their life experience where their military service was actually a real downer for them and a contributor to depression. You know, if my dad was alive, he would probably do chair yoga with me. And I think he'd, it'd be really good for him. And sadly, uh, that really intersection didn't really occur in his life. So I've practiced yoga for a long time, Ned for longer. We are certified teachers. We love teaching it and teaching it to veterans, teaching yoga skills. It's really portable. It can be 10 minutes. It can be breath work. It can be breath and movement. Um, It's incredibly powerful. So we created this entity with the goal that it would be sustainable. This wasn't like a one-off. We didn't go into this thinking, Oh, this is just a flash in the pan, and um, we have two full time staff, one part time, so a tiny staff of just incredible women who run it. And Ned and I are board members and strategists, and sometimes we teach for comeback. Uh, it depends. So that is that. That is how I flunked out of retirement. Like right after retiring, I got my teacher certification, and by May, I retired in February. and May, I was in a pretty filthy conference room at the VA hospital, teaching yoga to every vintage of service men, you know, every branch, every vintage, and really loving it, really loving the service and the impact on them. You know, somebody who hasn't slept in ages and to be able to bring them to a level of nervous system down regulation that allows them to take a little nap uh, we are dropping this cool.
0: episode in October and uh, on October 28th which will just be one week away from this episode dropping you are hosting the sixth annual breakfast for comeback yoga uh, and I have been lucky to attend every year since and or since it started and the doctor that you have and I know you mentioned her name, offline, but I I can never remember it. But she is truly fascinating. You you guys do such a great job with the people you invite to this breakfast. uh, In one, explaining how the trauma affects the brain and ways and how yoga can really help it. But then two, having those personal stories of how it truly did help these people. So let our listeners know a little bit about uh, what's going on at next week's breakfast and why they should attend with us.
1: Well, it's a bring your own breakfast event because it's live on YouTube on Comeback Yoga's YouTube channel. And it'll be uh, at 8 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time. So if you're listening to this in another time zone, just calculate from Mountain Daylight Time. If you want to get a 30-minute yoga practice with one of our teachers a Navy vet, show up at 7.30 on YouTube Live. So bring your coffee or bring your snack. We'll just be there for 30 minutes. And there's three components to this event. Our annual video of one of our teachers this year, he's a combat vet and a comeback yoga teacher, extraordinary story of resilience and comeback, like just extraordinary. And our science speaker, so Sally mentioned Patricia Alexander, who has spoken to our audience a couple of times. Her son has also spoken to our audience. Our speaker this year is one of her students and who also works with the military population and trauma. Our intent in our fundraising is it's relationship-driven. So just like I talk about your career is relationship-driven, fundraising is relationship-driven. And we believe in a model where we give you some content that's um, really informative. Hillary's going to talk about science, the brain, the body. And... Our other speaker is a dear friend of ours who's a Vietnam vet. Her Vietnam service was as a nurse in a field hospital in really amazing circumstances. And how she's helped bring yoga to the Western Slope in collaboration with Comeback and what it means to her. We're going to do all this in 30 30 minutes. You'll get the flavor of Comeback is grounded in science. Comeback yoga is grounded in science. And... This ancient practice, which has these marvelous components of breath and movement, and why it will help make a more resilient population in Colorado, where we started, but worldwide, because with technology, we are teaching worldwide now, which is pretty, it's an extraordinary silver lining to COVID that comeback can go into people's homes, people who would never come to a yoga class. So that retirement 2.0 is uh, is sort of on the horizon, but my retirement failure is really this joyful thing that Ned and I have done together. We work really well together, and Comeback Yoga is the awesome. That's incredible! And as a retirement. reminder,
0: the breakfast is Wednesday, October 28th, at 8 o'clock a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, and the thing that I love about it, not that I don't love the in-person ones, but I'm going to join the yoga this time at 730, which I've never done before because it was, I'm going to have to shower to look good at this breakfast in person. But the nice thing about the virtual is that I can do the yoga, stay in my yoga pants and have my breakfast while watching you. So <laughs> I, I've i been another benefit of, of COVID, right? <laughs> I, have, Sally, I have to give
1: a shout out to you because... We met through your first role at DPC, and you did persuade me to be a speaker for the mentoring program, which I loved doing. And then I, and I helped you find some of the mentors, people who were more flexible with their time than I was. But Sally's the one who suggested to me, why don't you do it here? And we did our first trial one breakfast, um, one May, a really small one. And then, we, and then we've done five of them in the ballroom, 250 people. And it was Sally who said do it here. And it was easy and convenient for people and a great deal of warmth and energy in that room for people greeting and seeing people that they might not have seen at any other event and a really content-rich focus. So Sally, you're the reason that a whole lot of this came together. I always support it. But thanks for the shout out. That was
0: was very kind of you. It might have been selfish. I might have said, hey, have it here. Oh, and by the way, when you speak at the DPC Mentor it's probably how it actually happened, Margo. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's alright. It for many um, things. Well,
0: I think I'm trying to think if there's anything from this morning that we haven't touched on that we should include.
1: Well, I I want to say to everybody who's um, probably struggling with what's my career going to look like? Am I going to have a career in this industry? You know, what are some things that you can like? Um, where's your, sort of where's your bedrock? That's a good geological analogy. And um, you may feel like you've just been plowed under by a glacier, but what are some of your bedrock behaviors that will support you? And um, starting your day with an intention, an intention to um, get to the office to to be curious. Uh, an intention to be prepared is a good intention. An intention to be cheerful is a good intention. Nothing gets done without some teamwork. Uh, How you deal with setbacks or mistakes, owning them, responding to them, um, how you deal with really anxious moments and giving yourself, your body, a chance to absorb whatever is making you anxious. That can be a euphemism for angry so that you can respond appropriately. It might be a coaching moment for one of your colleagues. It might be a coaching moment for your boss. It might be a coaching moment for yourself. It might be you just handled it in a really poor manner and you apologize with great authenticity the next day or within 36 hours. These are things that you can think about that sort of keep you grounded in forward, never straight. That's a tagline from a podcast I really enjoy having nothing to do with the energy business. But it's sort of my motto. It's like, are you going forward today? Well, you might not be going straight, but are you going forward? And you can ask yourself that question to try to keep your head up and your energy level at the, at the level you need it to be at to cope with all the things in your life.
0: As you know, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ward Paul Zine um, an episode ago, and both of you have said that this is the worst downturn you've ever seen in your careers. What are some predictions that we won't hold you to of what you think the the industry is going to look like moving forward?
1: So I foresee the industry will be a lot smaller. And I'm startled at how slowly consolidation is occurring. I don't understand all the structural reasons for that. I think there are structural reasons for that, that I don't completely understand. So I think that the industry will be much smaller. That means I think the same number of majors are going to be there. Uh, I think there will be several surviving, really high-quality independents. If you read, if you read the details of the new Devon, you know merged with W P X, there are some very clear financial behaviors baked into their governments that is put there, or it's those are intended to attract investor. Positive investor sentiment. Our industry has earned really low positive, low investor sentiment, and it's going to have to get headed in a positive direction. So, uh, smaller quality entities. So, what can you do? Well, you can try to be the best that you can be at the job that you do now. You can make sure that that you are familiar with the complexity of. job so it's not just about your corner of the geoscience world or your corner of the finance world or your corner of reserve reporting world that you know be thinking about integrating 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 knowledge i would stay current on the high quality folks who comment on our industry um, and i would avoid just the i'd avoid all the memes and just look at the people who are really thinking about the industry and i'm thinking about Social media, for example. So, don't overconsume, but don't ignore it either. If you decide that the complexity and the smart people—they're all fleeing the industry—you're either going to be the survivor, or maybe you're going to go go too. And there are lots of other industries. All every every industry is experiencing great difficulty right now. So, keep your spirits up. Keep talking to your friends, uh, talking to your family. There is no uh, great forecast. Looking out, 2022, 2023, there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand to go do stuff um, because I, I think we'll be pretty locked down this winter. Um, positivity rates are rising. So I think this, this like recovery is uh, a 2022, 2023 phenomenon.
0: So thank you so much for your time today, Margo. Uh, as we do with all of our guests, I'm going to end with some fun facts uh, in a speed round. So I will ask the question and you just shout out your answer to me. Do you prefer texting or talking?
1: That is an it depends.
0: What's your favorite concert to date?
1: Ned and I and our two kids went to Coldplay at the Pepsi Center in November of 2008. And it was amazing.
0: If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, I would tell myself, ask more questions. Like, let that curiosity just bubble to the surface. Ask more questions more frequently. Um, get really good at asking questions that don't put people on the back foot.
0: What are three words you would use to brand yourself? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, think, act, repeat. The final question, what gives you resilience? Oh, my family,
1: uh, nature, uh, physical movement, exercise. Not like don't have to you know break out into a sweat, but moving.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Margo. I really look forward to seeing you again next week at The Breakfast.
1: Sally, I want to say thank you to the When Water Cooler podcast. I loved listening to some of the other guests you've had and to the Women's Energy Network and to everybody in the energy industry. It is an absolutely fabulous industry of fantastic people. And I hope you all find a path through this hard time and stick with it.
0: Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next episode. And if you like this one, please rate and review it. And don't forget to keep in touch with us on social media by searching When Colorado on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And until next time, stay resilient.